we really want to stay focused on the rent payment experience and create the best rent payment experience possible. Because with any early stage company, it's very tempting to move into a bunch of different areas and spread yourself very thin. And then what you realize is you may have built a product that serves a comprehensive set of needs, but it serves those needs in a fairly mediocre way, which is really difficult to stand out versus, you know, bigger competitors. So initially, we just want to be laser focused on payments and create the best payments experience possible. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Pratik, who is the founder of Rency, a technology company that automates the rent collection process for landlords. The real estate industry is often antiquated, and it's always refreshing to see an old system get updated. In this episode, we talk about how Rency can help landlords and property managers, and what it takes to create a tech company in the real estate space. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Enjoy. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and just let us know who you are. Thanks for having me today, Sean. My name is Pratik. live in the Bay Area, and I'm currently the founder of Rency, uh, which is an online rental payments platform that kind of helps uh, landlords collect rent uh, online from their tenants. So go ahead and tell us your background. Like, How did you even get into this business? So right after college, I did management consulting for uh, a couple of years and then uh, moved to the Bay Area to join LinkedIn. And, you know, I was at LinkedIn for about four years. It was actually, you know, a really tough decision to to leave LinkedIn for a couple of reasons, which I'm sure every entrepreneur, you know, faces. I think, uh, you know, obviously the perks of working at a tech company, people are great, uh, really friendly. And then, of course, a steady paycheck. But I think beyond that, you know, at LinkedIn, I, w- I was on the team that kind of helped people find jobs. And I think, you know, ev- everyone in tech says that they're changing the world or whatever. But I think, you know, at least it felt like kind of I was making a positive impact in people's lives through the specific work I was doing at LinkedIn. But, you know, I think I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and I think had that kind of entrepreneurial bug and spirit. So back when I was in college at Northwestern, I actually uh, started and ran a couple of uh, student-run businesses. And so, you know, in my sophomore year, I actually started a food delivery uh, service. And so that was sort of in the pre-smartphone like app era or before things really took off. So we kind of hacked together the equivalent of like a Postmates or a DoorDash where, you know, we'd have like an online system that took in the orders and then, you know, someone in the office like, you know, on the phone, kind of looking at the computer screen, like calling drivers and being like, hey, you need to go to Chipotle in like 10 minutes. And here's the order. And then drivers would kind of write out the order on like a spreadsheet, on like a, on a, on like a pad. So, you know, it was, uh, you know, really like exciting experience, just building that and kind of hacking that together. And then in my senior year of college, kind of uh, started a summer storage uh, business, as you know, like, you know, a lot of undergrads in college, uh, you know, will want to store their items uh, throughout the summer. And so that was kind of a clear business opportunity. And so, uh, you know, built uh, built that as well. And so I think after college, of course, 
you know, I wanted to make sure that I stepped into the corporate world and kind of got a foothold of, you know, the, the things you're supposed to learn as an adult, uh, which you probably may not be able to do if you just leave college and, you know, decide to start something right away. You know, what really attracts me about entrepreneurship is two qualities. One is just having complete ownership over the product itself and really feeling like, you know, you can, you know, have an impact on a specific area and just having that autonomy. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the other piece is kind of dealing with customers. So, uh, you know, I think even back in college, like it always gave me a lot of satisfaction when, you know, I'd hear from customers who are using the product and really seeing the value in it and just, you know, saying how, how helpful it was to them. I think that's, that's a pretty special feeling when you know that you've created something that's now in the hands of people and they're really benefiting from it. And so I think those were a couple of things that I really enjoyed about entrepreneurship and led me to you know, leave LinkedIn after four years and kind of t- go, go down that route again. So why Renzi? Why is property management software the problem that you're trying to solve? Kind of after I left my job, as you said, you kind of have the world open to you in terms of, you know, what can you start, uh, especially in, in this day and age where it's pretty easy to just launch a website. It's pretty easy to reach customers all around the country through, you know, Google, Facebook ads, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think what I did was I actually made a list of kind of a bunch of different industries that I was interested in. Uh, you know, personal finance was sort of, you know, one of them and actually went down this route of uh, looking into real estate crowdfunding as a business idea. Uh, which, you know, I know there's some sort of real estate crowdfunding sites out there, but I'd always wondered, like, why is it that as, you know, a sort of late 20s uh, person that's pretty financially savvy, really like the only option I, you know, I'm aware of in terms of real estate investing is like buying a house. (laughs) And, you know, so, so kind of looked into that, but then that led me to just think more about the entire real estate experience in general. And I think, you know, sort of, struck a personal pain point that I've felt for many years, which is, you know, I've been a renter uh, for my entire adult life and have uh, dealt with both like inconveniences as well as uh, some, you know, pretty disappointing uh, sort of results in terms of having to pay my rent. So I think one example that comes to mind is uh, at the prior place I lived, which was sort of a multi multifamily, uh, you know, unit building, uh, you know, they used an online system. And I think when you set it up, the auto pay like expires after a year or something. But obviously, you don't really you don't note that down, you're not going to remember that. And you kind of expect them to at least remind you about it. But uh, I think the way I was reminded about it was coming home one day and seeing like a notice of eviction sign on my door and being like, you haven't paid your rent. And I was like, wait, but like my auto pay is set up. And then I, I went back to it. And I saw like it expired. And I hadn't received any notification about it. And I was like, man, this could have been so easily avoided if, you know, it was just as simple as just letting me know that your auto pay is about to expire. And so you know, luckily, I didn't get evicted, but I had to pay like $50, you know, late fee and whatever, which should have been like, totally avoidable, because, you know, I had the money to pay, and it was all set up. It just, you know, the system didn't notify me. And so I think, you know, that was sort of the the personal aspect. But of course, uh, when you're starting a business, I think, you know, just having a personal pain point isn't enough. You need to both understand, uh, you know, the the market dynamics, like the competition, uh, you know, the customers, uh, all of that. 
Um, and so, you know, did a lot of research into that aspect and, you know, learned a couple of things. Uh, and so I just, you know, go through some numbers here. So in terms of the market, there's about 50 million rental units uh, in the U.S. And when you think about who owns those rental units, about half of those or say 25 million are owned by, say, large property management companies that may own like thousands of you know units. And then the other half are actually owned by individuals, which was kind of interesting to me that, you know, that many rental units are owned by individuals or say small time, you know, in real estate investors or property managers. And, uh, you know, when you look at those two segments of the large scale property management companies, and then the individuals, the large scale property management companies, uh, obviously, because it's a business for them, you know, most of them use, uh, pretty, uh, you know, one of the established uh, software for property management. So the two most popular are Appfolio and Buildium. And, you know, they do everything from rent payments to maintenance requests to hooking up to, you know, any accounting system that, that you deal with. So, you know, they're, they're, they're quite sophisticated in terms of the breadth of what they offer, which is kind of required if you're managing, say, thousands of units. Um, and but then on the smaller side, you know, let's say you're a individual or a real estate investor that manages like 20 units, you wouldn't be able to use one of these large scale property management uh, software because it's cost prohibitive. For example, Appfolio, which is the biggest one, I think has something like a $250 initiation fee and then a $250 min- monthly minimum in terms of like how much you need to spend. And so it really only works if you have, say, more than like 500 or maybe even 1,000 units to, to start to hit those minimums. And so, you know, that, that got me thinking about what do these individuals really do, right? And like, what does that market look like? And so, you know, did a bunch of research there and found that, okay, there's a couple of different options you have as a small time property manager or landlord. Uh, So obviously, there's the traditional like cash or check uh, method, which uh, is, you know, has, it's worked for a very long time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing. It's, you know, definitely inconvenient for renters to remember to pay each month and also maybe mail a check or deposit a check. And for landlords, like, you know, it's just anytime you kind of leave the onus to the renter to remember to do something every month, there's a lot of opportunity for things to come in late or excuses, which are, you know, the infamous, like, you know, the rent is in the mail, but like, you know, it hasn't reached you yet, but it's not my fault. It's the US Postal Service's fault. And then you have, you know, some other options. So you could, you could give the, you know, the tenant your bank account information, and they could go to their bank and kind of initiate a direct deposit to you. But of course, the biggest liability there is you're actually sharing your bank account information, which, uh, you know, most landlords don't necessarily want to do. Then there's you have the sort of the what I call the you know peer-to-peer or P2P payment services like Venmo, Zelle, PayPal. And those can work in some cases, but they aren't really built for you know rent collection or kind of running a small business. So just a couple of the major flaws. One is that you know with uh, Venmo and PayPal, you can't set up recurring payments. So you know the renter would have to actually remember each month to kind of go in and, and make the payment still. You know, and then I think they also have payment limits. So uh, Venmo, for example, has like a $2,000 weekly payment limit, which is okay in, in some cases, but for a lot of 
places in, in the US, if you're collecting like first month's rent plus security deposit, plus like some fees or anything like that, you know, it's probably over the $2,000 limit. So it's just not ideal when you have to like split up your payments into, you know, mul- multiple weeks or anything like that. In addition to that, you have other online platforms that are kind of geared towards smaller scale uh, landlords. And so the two most popular are Cozy and Avail. And, you know, they do they do everything from kind of allowing you to like instantly link your bank account, send you notifications when payments are scheduled, initiated. You know, they have a dashboard where you can keep track of all your payments and the statuses, all of that. But, you know, I think what I found there was two things. One is that they're still quite costly, uh, especially for the features that they offer. So, you know, I think Avail is something like $10 a month for your first unit if you want kind of the full suite of features and then some additional amount, uh, you know, for, for each unit, which is fairly costly. And then Cozy is actually a free service, but if you want like faster payments, you have to pay, you know, $3 a unit a month. And so there's a lot of these add-on fees that, you know, can, can start to add up with these payment services. And I think the other thing is for certain reasons, even when you look at the market, like, you know, something like 60 to 80% of rent is still paid with check at least in this sort of, you know, individual landlord segment. And so even the largest player like Cozy or Avail, you know, haven't significantly penetrated the the entire market yet. And so, you know, I, I know this is kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but, you know, after looking through all of those different options and also understanding the overall kind of addressable market, I felt, okay, there's definitely an opportunity here to build a cost-effective, uh, but really powerful rent payments product and, you know, with the right go-to-market approach, be able to get it into hands of, you know, a lot more individual landlords and smaller scale property managers. Cool. No, thanks for the answer. It's good to have so much detail so that we can understand like your thought process behind creating it. And ask a couple follow-up questions. Yeah. So I guess the first one is, can you summarize what you just said and kind of go over who is your ideal client and what is the exact problem that you're trying to solve? You know, I think the ideal client is it's actually a variety, which is kind of what makes this product versatile. But I'd say it's anyone from a individual landlord that say just owns one or, you know, two units, all the way to property managers that, uh, you know, don't necessarily sort of own hundreds of units, but, you know, may own like, say, 25 to 50 units and maybe have a bunch of different landlords that they work with. The ideal customer is really in that smaller scale management segment. You know, I think in terms of the the problem that uh, that we're solving, you know, when it comes to collecting rent, you're sort of in this awkward space where it's not purely like a peer-to-peer transaction, like, you know, a friend paying someone else for, you know, for dinner or something. So a lot of these, you know, peer-to-peer apps don't necessarily work. But it's also not necessarily a purely like, you know, business to consumer solution where, you know, you can afford really expensive software to to manage your payments. And so I think creating a product that is able to offer some really customized features for the, you know, rent payments use case at an affordable price, you know, is, is an opportunity that a lot of, you know, landlords, property managers could benefit from. And what is your current business model? So in terms of the current pricing, it's free for everyone's first unit. And so, you know, what we wanted to do was essentially give the option for anyone to just try it out with one unit and get all the benefits. And so, you know, I 
can definitely talk to you about all the features, uh, you know, later on. But, uh, you know, first unit, completely free, collect as much rent as you want from, from your tenants. And then beyond that, sort of a tiered pricing where it comes out to about $2 per unit per month. So it's like, say, $10 for five units, $20 for 10 units, I think $50 for 25 units per month. And so that's sort of the, the business model that, you know, that, that we're using is a monthly subscription fee for the landlords. Uh, we're not charging any per transfer fees to either the landlords or the tenants. So I think that's what's really nice about it is, you know, it's a very sort of transparent pricing model where it's like, hey, I'm paying this much per month. Doesn't matter how much I transact or, you know, how many people I transact with, you know, you can collect from multiple renters. It's kind of that same fixed cost per month. I was going to ask you, like, how does it work? Why is it better than the alternatives? Like you mentioned, Appfolio and Buildium. But more interestingly, like, how are you able to do it at such a competitive price? You know, we offer some basic features that you've come to expect from online payment systems, like tenants can sign up for auto pay. Uh, landlords can actually add automatic late fees. So, you know, that's that's always something that is quite awkward for landlords to deal with is, you know, if someone's like a day late do you charge them the late fee or do you let it go? And so kind of leaving it to a, you know, a, a machine or a website to just, you know, enforce that is actually uh, very beneficial. And then there's, of course, kind of real-time notifications. So when a payment is scheduled, you know, when it's initiated, uh, when it actually hits the landlord's bank account, we send real-time notifications for, for all of that. But I think those are, say, features that you, you could find elsewhere as well. I think uh, some of the features that make us pretty unique, actually, one is the two-day uh, ACH speed or the two business day uh, transfer speed. As you may know, like most bank transfers take something like three to five days uh, to complete, three to five business days to complete, which, you know, as a landlord or an investor, you know, just for cash flow purposes, you kind of want your money as soon as possible. And so if your renter pays you on the first of the month with a check, by the time you actually deposit that, and then it actually clears into your bank account, it may be like the eighth or the ninth of the month with, you know, weekends in, in between and everything like that. Um, and so you've almost lost like a third of the month to actually get your payment. And so what we offer is an expedited ACH speed of two days. And that's actually standard with kind of all of our transactions. So some of these other competitors do offer two day speeds, but they actually charge a pretty hefty premium for that. And so our free product, say your first unit, you know, which is free, you actually get the two-day ACH included. And so what that means is, you know, if the first of the month is Monday, uh, the landlord will actually have the rent in their bank account available to use by the third of the month, which, you know, would be a Wednesday. And so that's something that's it's actually quite powerful that when you uh, look at the feedback on a lot of these other payment services, that's one of the, the biggest pain points is man, like I have to wait, you know, five business days for my rent to actually come into my account. And that's, you know, kind of annoying if, if I want to use that money to actually, you know, do something. So that's one of the features that makes us stand out. I think the feature that makes us really unique is kind of what we do in, with uh, payment reversals and insufficient funds. So another challenge that landlords sometimes face is given the way the US ACH or ACH uh, is kind of automated clearinghouse, which is the, you know, the banking network, given uh, the way it works, I think it's, it's still fairly antiquated. And so what could end up happening is 
let's say someone initiates a transfer to you on the first, they may actually not have enough money in their bank account, but uh, the transfer will actually kind of start to initiate. And then it may take up to like two or three days for, uh, you know, you to, as a landlord, to be notified that there weren't enough funds. And then what happens is a payment reversal where, you know, you thought you had the money, but it turns out the money was never there. And so now it's like, you know, the third or the fourth of the month and you realize you don't have the money, you may have to pay a payment reversal fee. So it's just, you know, even though it may not happen extremely often and, you know, hopefully with good tenants should not happen, it is a risk and something that is really inconvenient to deal with. And so one of the really unique features that we offer is essentially eliminating payment reversals. So what we do is pretty much a second before the transfer initiates, say on the first of the month, we'll actually verify, are there enough funds to complete this transaction, which seems like such a basic thing to do, right? Even with like credit cards, you have like pre-authorization and and all of that. So it's not really like a novel concept in terms of payments, but in terms of ACH or banking payments, uh, it is somewhat novel to, you know, know that, hey, if a transfer has initiated, that actually means that I'm going to get the money and I'm like guaranteed to get the money. Um, and if there aren't enough funds to make the transfer, uh, you know, what we'll do is actually send a notification to both the landlord and the tenant, letting them know, hey, you know, there wasn't enough funds to complete the transfer. Uh, so, you know, please kind of, you know, add funds to your bank account or find an alternate method of payment uh, for this month. And so that's something that really, you know, is unique and, and saves people a lot of, I think it gives people a lot of peace of mind, saves people a lot of, you know, time and potentially money if, if this were to happen. Um, and then I think, you know, couple of other features that we have. Uh, so you can actually link up to six bank accounts if you want to deposit your money into different bank accounts. Useful for some people. And I think the final two things that I've found are actually really important in this space. One is security. So as you can imagine, you know, with any of these uh, services, the number one kind of concern or question that a user has about the product is how secure is it? And, you know, I'm trusting this product with my banking information and I'm telling my tenants to give it their banking information. So I really want to make sure it's secure, right? And so what we've actually done for that is we've partnered with two payments companies. You may, you may have heard of a Plaid, which is sort of a multi-billion dollar like fintech uh, you know, company in, in the Bay Area. And uh, they're used by Venmo, Amex, Robinhood. They're used by a lot of major companies to instantly authenticate bank accounts. And so they've actually developed this technology where instead of, you know, traditionally in order to authenticate a bank account, you had to like put in your bank account and out routing number, and then you had to wait like two days for micro deposits to land in your account. And so it was kind of a, a big hassle, but they've developed this technology where with your bank account username and password, you can actually instantly authenticate your bank account. So literally takes like, you know, five seconds to do, and they handle all of the security. So what's really nice is, you know, for all of the people that are using Rentsy right now, Rentsy actually does not store any financial information or banking, uh, bank account or routing numbers. It's, it's just that that information does not exist anywhere in our database. The way it works is, you know, it's, it's authenticated by Plaid, which kind of handles all of that information. And obviously that's all they do. And so they have a ton of measures, security measures in place. 
And they simply give us like a key or a token, a, you know, a kind of a secret token that allows us to, you know, access that uh, inf- or kind of, you know, not access that information, but allows us to essentially make transfers, you know, through Plaid. And so, you know, that's something that uh, allows us to be really secure uh, versus, you know, other competitors. I think that, you know, certain competitors do kind of, it's, it's almost like a baseline, right? Like you need to offer like really strong security <laughs> in order to, you know, even get anywhere. But I find that there are some players in the space that have unclear, it's unclear, like what their security methods are and stuff like that. And so I think with Rensi, the one thing we really wanted to communicate to, you know, users is, hey, essentially, if if you use Venmo, if you use any of these other services, you're actually not really adding another point of vulnerability because, you know, we're using the same service that they use to link bank accounts and, you know, make payments. Um, so that's, you know, security aspect is, is really important. Uh, and then I think the, you know, final piece is kind of ease of use. So this is, of course, a product that requires setup, right? Like you have to invite your tenants, you have to link your bank accounts, you know, schedule payments, all of that. And so what we've done is made it really, really simple to set everything up. So we have, you know, a really easy to use onboarding flow, like a three-step onboarding flow with the like instant bank account authentication, all of that. It's also mobile friendly. So you can do all of it from your phone, from like your phone browser. If you want, you know, anytime you need to schedule payments, you can do it from your phone as well. And so I think the, the ease of use aspect, it also is something that I think, you know, we're, we're trying to stand out on versus the other competitors. Is Rensi mostly based for rent collection or is it also used for, let's say, you know, paying your contractors and then having a receipt so that your landlord, if you're a property manager, your landlord can see all the payments going in and out? That's a really good question. I think, uh, you know, what we're starting off with right now is really focused on creating an amazing payments experience between renters uh, and landlords. Uh, However, like we are actually experimenting with some interesting use cases. So, you know, this is not necessarily like part of our core business, but, you know, as a startup, you're always trying to understand and experiment like, hey, maybe this could work in like an adjacent space, right? And so like a couple of spaces that we've actually experimented in, one is, uh, kind of creating like a rent split tool for tenants. So if you're, you know, a lot of people, especially, you know, in major cities who are renters will kind of, there's actually a, a, a legal term for this called, I think, master tenant, where, you know, you may be the only tenant on the lease. And then you're sort of, you know, getting other tenants to fill, you're, you're essentially responsible for collecting rent from the other tenants, as well as like filling up that space. Uh, and so, you know, we created a little tool for, you know, he- for those master tenants to be able to kind of collect rent from, you know, from their roommates, for example. I think the other uh, thing we're looking into, and we've actually, you know, rolled this out with some of our users is most property managers collect rent directly from uh, tenants, but we are working with some property managers who actually still have their landlords collect rent directly. And all they want is just to be able to track that those payments are going through properly. And so we've, you know, created this flow where, you know, the tenant can actually pay the landlord uh, and then the landlord can uh, also pay the fee to the property manager all in sort of one, you know, one system. 
And the property manager also gets notifications about, you know, whether rent has been paid from the tenant to the landlord. So it's kind of a, you know, fully enclosed system between the tenant, the landlord and the property manager where, you know, all the payments can go through Rentsy and, you know, the it, it's visible to, to everyone. Uh, but I think, you know, to answer your question about being able to kind of pay contractors and track all of that, uh, you know, I think that's something that we definitely want to add in the future. Right now, we're just focusing on some of the, the core payment flows. Cool. That makes sense. And, you know, as a tenant before, I used to rent back when I was in LA. I understand the pain of being a master tenant and having to collect rent from all your friends and like, you paid yours on time, but your friend didn't pay his on time. Like, yeah. why do I have to pay the late fee and stuff? You know, it also seems that for a lot of these um, these programs, it requires the landlord or the property manager to sign up with you guys first. Is there any way that, let's say, a tenant can sign up with you guys? I don't know if that makes sense because there's, there is frustrations if this landlord doesn't accept automatic payments. I got to write a check to him and mail it before the first of the month. That's super annoying. Is there a way that I can just pay my landlord without having to spread him a check, you know, I don't know. You bring up a really interesting point, you know, starts to get at the question of why haven't online rent payments scaled as much as they should have by now, right? Like it's, I think it's like the one space in payments where like literally I've had, I've had friends and other renters be like, like I had to like order a checkbook from my bank for, you know, $25, because I realized that I needed to pay my rent with a check. And like, I've never used a check for anything else before. And I think one of the biggest issues is, it's a system that requires two parties to essentially consent to using it, right? Like any marketplace business. I think the challenge here is that, you know, the landlords are the ones that have all the power. And, you know, they're the ones that maybe you you kind of first need to get to in, in order to say, hey, like, sign up for this, link your bank account, and then get your tenants uh, to use it. I think the challenge with that is a lot of landlords, uh, you know, are definitely uh, on the older side, maybe, you know, have been doing this for a really long time, uh, maybe like extremely concerned about security, not as comfortable using new technology. And so you kind of run into that issue of, you know, they're kind of comfortable with the current processes because they've been doing it for so long. And so it's pretty difficult to reach them or to, to convince them to try something new, right? Um, and I think on the tenant side, you have this group of people that are all probably like extremely excited to do anything that does not involve a check and, you know, are very willing to use technology where they have to input their, you know, bank account information and everything because, you know, they're already connected in, in many ways. But the challenge there is they're not necessarily the ones with the decision-making power in terms of, you know, choosing how to pay their rent. Uh, and so I think you kind of run into that. And that's one of the biggest challenges, I think, of this business is, you know, the the segment that you're targeting requires actually a lot of effort in terms of acquiring them as customers, even though the segment that it's also serving is really would be really excited to use the product. So, you know, I think to, to answer your question of, is there a way for renters to, to pay like upfront or, you know, to kind of sign up without landlords, you know, I think that's something we've thought about. So right now, if you go to the site as a renter, uh, what you are, you know, asked to do is say like, hey, you need to get your landlord to sign up first and invite you. So just put in your landlord's email and we'll send them an invite and then, you know, they can sign up. Um, Something that, you know, we've been thinking about is, you know, what if you 
essentially like allowed a renter to complete the entire setup process without having the landlord on the other side. And then you could do one of two things, right? You could either take the money into like, say, Rentsy could collect the money and then write a check on the renter's behalf. So Rentsy essentially takes away the check writing step of it. Um, you know, that all that all that would require is like the renter giving us the landlord's you know address where they deposit the check to. Or you could potentially, you know, still try to keep it all online and, you know, ha- like have them fully sign up and then actually send an email to the landlord saying, hey, your renter has, you know, set up auto pay and linked their bank account to the system. All you need to do is just, you know, sign up in five minutes and you'll start receiving your payments automatically. And so I think that, that that's a really, you know, insightful question around just the overall like customer dynamics and, you know, how, how you can get more people to sign up because right now, you know, we are really relying on one side of the market to be bought in, in order to, you know, use this product. Yeah. Especially because if you get your renters to sign up and kind of like bug your landlord, Hey, I mean, the first one's free anyways, so they have nothing yeah. to lose really. And it's automatic payments. That's kind of what they want. Right. Right. Sounds like an interesting opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that we, we definitely want to, to explore, like making it easier for renters to, you know, use this, even if their landlords aren't bought in already and, you know, making then kind of encouraging landlords to, to, to use it. Yeah. So are you guys focused primarily in San Francisco or do you have renters all over the United States? Yeah. So what I found is, of course, you know, as an early stage business, uh, the best way to get customers is by actually going to meetups, uh, you know, kind of meeting people in person, telling them about the product. Uh, so, you know, I think I'd say like the majority of our users are in San Francisco or at least California. Uh, we actually are, we're serving like a 150 unit RV park in Orange County, actually, that's currently, you know, fully on Rentsy. Um, and for them, we, we, you know, process rent payments for both, you know, the RVs that are kind of parked there, as well as uh, they have like a huge storage unit kind of facility where they essentially have a bunch of RVs that are just storage units for people. <laughs> and so, you know, we're processing the, the monthly payments for, for that as well. So I'd say all of the California user base is based on kind of in-person outreach. But then just through, you know, as I said at the beginning of the show, like the beauty of current internet age is you can really reach people anywhere through advertising. Uh, you know, we have people in, you know, Pennsylvania, Missouri, uh, New York, uh, kind of all using, you know, the product that have just heard about it either through online advertising or, you know, read about it somewhere else and, and have kind of signed up. But most of those people are kind of more individual uh, landlords. Is Renzi able to be used all across the United States? Yeah. So can you go uh, international too, or is it only based on the United States? So, you know, Renzi can be used by anybody in the United States, in any state, and, you know, literally takes five minutes to set up your account. Internationally, uh, we do not support uh, rent payments. And one of the main reasons for that is primarily like security and compliance. So the payment partners that we're working with, especially the, the, the banking partner that we're working with to kind of process payments on the ACH network, they purely serve the US banking network. And one of the reasons is just you know, the regulations around banking networks are so different and stringent in each country that even just kind of supporting one country requires a lot of compliance uh, work to be done. And, you know, it's almost like 
you know, you would require like, you know, different vendor, you'd have to plug into multiple vendors to be able to serve, you know, different countries. So, you know, where we've built a system that's, you know, really easy to use and really secure, uh, you know, within the US. And that's kind of what we're pursuing for the foreseeable future, just given, you know, that that allows us to provide kind of the best, uh, best service. Is your banking partnership the reason why you're able to do ACH so quickly? Yeah. So uh, for that, actually, uh, we're using kind of one of the leading ACH payments sort of facilitators. The technical term is payment facilitator. And so they actually allow us to do the, you know, two-day ACH speeds. Uh, You know, we actually, we we have the ability to turn on next day ACH, which is something that we're thinking about doing in the future is actually even offering like faster payments for maybe, you know, a small fee or something like that. But I think the the, the other advantage that they provide is um, the notifications aspect of it. So they're also the leader in terms of, you know, providing real-time notifications about, you know, everything related to your payments. So as you know, like every banking transfer has kind of two parts to it. One is like when it's initiated and then the other is when it's completed. And there's some lag between those two. And so this partner actually uh, is able to notify Rentsy the instant that a payment is initiated or the instant that a payment is completed. Uh, and then we instantly notify, uh, you know, the landlord and the tenant as well. So I think that's really great because, you know, rather than like wondering like, oh man, I need to log into my bank account and check, like, has the payment arrived yet? And like, you know, maybe you, you log in on like the fourth, the fifth, the sixth of the month, and you're just like, wondering when it's going to arrive. Uh, you know, we actually proactively tell you like the instant that it's in your account, we'll send you an email and say, hey, funds are available in your account. So remind me again, how long has Rensi been in operation? Yeah, so it's actually still fairly early days. So Rensi kind of fully launched, I would say in like, you know, late March, early April. Uh, wow. And so it's, you know, it's it's still like a pretty new service. But I think what we're finding is this is a market that is still quite underserved. It's actually quite interesting because it's a highly competitive market. I laid out like all the options, you know, in addition to other online rent collection systems, there's like a bunch of other options you can use like check, cash, Venmo, all of that. This is a highly competitive market, but it's it's still underserved in a lot of ways. And so, you know, we've been able to serve everyone from you know, say like 100 plus unit property management companies, all the way to like, you know, individual landlords who simply own like one unit that's out of state and just need some help collecting rent. So three months later, since your launch, how big is your total portfolio of properties you're helping? Yeah. So right now, in terms of like doors under management of doors using Rentsy, we have like, you know, few hundred uh, doors that are, you know, using, uh, using Rentsy. And, you know, in terms of like processing payments, right, like that translates to roughly, say, like a million dollars in run rate kind of rent payments so annually. So not monthly, but, you know, annually, we're kind of at a, say, million dollars processed, uh, you know, in, in rent payments. And, you know, I think like the goal right now for the business is just focus on customer acquisition, because that is definitely, you know, the biggest challenge in this space where, you know, as you as I mentioned, like things have been done a certain way for so long. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily want to try something new. On top of that, you have a bunch of other services that are all 
you know, claiming to do great things as well. <laughs> and so, you know, I think the, the goal right now is just, okay, like, how do we get to a thousand? And then, you know, how do we get to 10,000? And, you know, I think some of the points you brought up around, hey, like, you know, maybe you have to be able to allow renters to sign up without the landlords initially signing up. And, you know, also experimenting with different ways that people can sign up to make it even easier for them. Yeah. So do you have any strategies in mind of things you're going to do? One of the benefits of Rentsy is it's very versatile in terms of the sort of customers that it's able to serve. So as I mentioned, we have like individual landlords with, you know, one unit and then, you know, larger property management companies. So they actually require pretty different marketing tactics to reach, you know, both of those. And so, you know, I think on the slightly larger scale property management side, you know, really starting to double down on sales in that segment and calling as many of them as possible, you know, reaching out to them. That's sort of the best way to reach these larger scale, you know, companies. I think testing out some interesting ideas like the stuff we talked about around, you know, getting tenants to sign up first and then maybe, uh, you know, having the landlord sign up that could enable growth. I think there's also, from a feature set standpoint, things that could make Rentsy even more attractive. So I think in terms of payment features, uh, you know, one thing that we've been thinking about is starting to kind of involve text messaging in the process. So, you know, once you sign up or you hook up uh, all your information, like you set up your bank account and everything, uh, you may get like payment requests on a monthly basis or, you know, invoices for certain things. And you may not want to like log into your account each time or, you know, go to a website. And so, you know, what if we just sent sent you a text or, you know, sent you an email and you could just respond to the text or email saying, yes, you know, pay this. And that would, you know, essentially schedule the transfer and everything. Uh, so I think that that could be a pretty interesting feature that would make it even more easy for for tenants and and pretty unique. And then I think on the, you know, in terms of the breadth of features, as I mentioned, like property managers, uh, rent, like collecting rent is just one part of, of their job. As you know, most of uh, your listeners will know, there's maintenance requests, there's accounting, all of that. I think, you know, the next kind of area that we want to move in towards is probably maintenance requests. So, you know, once you already have tenants and landlords on the platform, uh, it's actually pretty straightforward to add in, say, messaging capability and being able to track, you know, maintenance requests, all of that. And so, you know, I think that's something that we we want to to get to eventually. But I will say that I think one thing that we are pretty focused and consistent on is we really want to stay focused on the rent payment experience and create the best rent payment experience possible. Because with any early stage company, it's very tempting to move into a bunch of different areas and spread yourself very thin. And then what you realize is you've kind of, you may have built a product that serves a comprehensive set of needs, but it serves those needs like fairly in a fairly mediocre way, which is really difficult to stand out versus, you know, bigger competitors. So initially we just want to be laser focused on payments and create the best payments experience possible. Yep. It's a really good strategy. Just focus on one big thing and don't get distracted by all the shiny objects around you. Right. Before we go real quick, I wanted to ask you about more about your story and more about the business side of things. So you told me that you did a lot of research, especially after leaving LinkedIn to decide this is the kind of business I want to go into. How long was that process between leaving LinkedIn and starting Rentsy? 
Yeah. So from the time that I started researching the business, like business ideas, to starting Rensi was probably about two and a half months. And, you know, I think like I went pretty deep down a couple of different business ideas, but I also felt that at some point you kind of just have to take a leap of faith and just go for something. Uh, because I think there's a, there's a lot of red flags for starting any company, right? It's, it's one of those things where like, if you've ever thought about a great idea that you've had, and then you Google it, I think this happens to everyone like fairly frequently. You think of an amazing idea and you're like, man, I, I wish there was a service for this. And you go to Google and you Google it. And there's like 10 things that pop up that do exactly what you're uh, thinking of. You know, so I think like, when you're trying to start something or trying to come up with an idea for starting something, there's always going to be like, you know, red flags in terms of, oh, it's super competitive. It may require like a lot of capital to build. It may, may be really difficult to acquire customers. And so I think like, all those things are important and you need to do your research and at least believe that you can create something that can overcome some of those challenges. But then I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, you kind of have to go with your gut and just say, you know what, I think I have enough belief that this is going to work. I'm never going to know like 100% sure. So rather than spending another like three months researching ideas and trying to wait for like the golden idea that nobody has ever thought of <laughs> before, uh, I'm just going to move forward with this. And I think kind of my goal going into this was, you know, I'd rather I'd rather try something and fail at it than not try anything or just keep thinking of different ideas. And so that's kind of the path that I'm on is just be laser focused on building this, trying to make it work uh, and, and seeing where it goes and, you know, taking it as far as possible. And you said you're the founder. Do you have a co-founder as well? Or did you just do it yourself and yeah. somehow bring in other people? No, it's, it's actually just me on the business. So essentially, you know, what I did was I started this process completely on my own in terms of thinking about different ideas, all of that, and then found this SF development company that builds websites. And so, you know, they actually use this like pretty unique technology that allows you to build websites pretty quickly, uh, at least the front end piece of it, as long as you know some of the like back end, like API coding uh, aspects. So because of that, and they've done like thousands of projects, I was able able to actually get like an MVP of Rancy done in like a month, which is kind of crazy to think that, uh, you know, a payments platform that has like all of these different integrations and, you know, you have like two sides of the marketplace have, that have to interact with each other can all be done in just one month. But I will say that after that initial phase of development, of course, like to really, you know, really build something valuable you can't just have like an M a basic MVP. You really need something that has like all of these unique features and that works for everyone. And so, you know, I got pretty into the coding piece of it, even though I'm not, uh, you know, technical by nature. Uh, I was able to understand enough, you know, how the backend works, the how the APIs work with the payment partners. Uh, and because of that, I was actually able to kind of take it to its current state of, you know, being able to offer like a bunch of these custom and, and unique and, you know, features that make it a really powerful uh, rent payments uh, product. And so I think where I'm at right now in terms of team is uh, I'm actually starting to think about either looking for, you know, other people to join Rancy or, you know, either as like co-founders or, you know, as partners. You know, I think 
probably the the highest priority need for a business like this at the stage that it's at is sales and marketing. Uh, as I mentioned, like customer acquisition is you know a, a big challenge, uh, and so you know that's sort of where I'm at right now. Is it's like okay, hey, it's it's built. There's users on it. It works well. The people that use it really like using it, and so you know, in order to scale, you need a team, and so that's that's kind of the next stage of Rancy. Well, wow, that's super inspiring. So right now, you're a one man show. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So you learned how to code because you had like an idea and you just figured out how to do it. You know, yeah. you don't have a technical background. You kind of just figured it all out as you went along. You know, I, I will say that the uh, the platform that Rensi is built on is actually this this unique platform that allows you to kind of build these websites and build these products without necessarily needing to code like the entire front end piece of it. So they, you can almost imagine it as like, you know, they've built like, like an interface that allows you to kind of build a website or at least the, the, the user interface without necessarily, you know, needing code. But then the part that you still do need to be able to do is, for example, like initiating a payment or authorizing a bank account, those all still require code on the back end to be able to interact with you know, the payment processors and let them know like, hey, this this person wants to send money to this person, like, you have to send that information. And so, uh, you know, that did require some like technical learning. But I think that's also what's been so great about this experience is, you know, I feel like my past experience was all on the business side. And through this, I've, you know, gained some, you know, technical experience as well. Wow, that's amazing. And when did you go to that San Francisco development company to create your MVP? This was back in December. So I guess the timeline was like December to like, say, January, February was the the main building process. And actually, probably one of the biggest barriers to get through was that, uh, and this is something I'm very thankful for, actually, our payment facilitator is extremely strict about compliance, uh, down to like, you know, when like, when this happens, you need to send this email to the user. And this email to the user needs to have this information in it, um, you know. And so we had to do a bunch of back and forth with the payment facilitator uh, to make sure that we were fully compliant, you know, with all of their kind of regulations that they, they comply with. Uh, and you know, before we could even launch Rentsy, we actually had to do like a live demo to you know someone on their like legal team, on their anti money laundering team. Uh, so you know, that's something that. I'm definitely very thankful for that. You know, I feel really good about the fact that we built a product that is like extremely compliant, uh, because and we're using very reputable, you know, payment partners. But that sort of took us till like say March in terms of actually having all everything signed off on, and then starting in like April is when we really started to started to introduce it to people, advertise both online and offline. How much did it cost to create that MVP, and how are you currently funding your project? In terms of cost, it was pretty affordable, say like single digit thousands. I think what I will say is that the website that you see currently is actually fairly different than what it was when, you know, the development company handed it over. And so I actually don't know if if I had essentially just taken that website and not made any changes to it myself or not learned how to, you know, be, you know, more technical with the product. Uh, I actually don't know if we would have kind of reached a point where we could have all these users and and make it work for everyone. And so I think like, you know, the 
the, the key there was they really were able to like using their expertise, get like the basic version uh, out really fast. But then it actually required a lot more effort to get it to a point where you could have like different methods of linking bank accounts and link multiple bank accounts and, you know, add late fees. And like all of that is stuff that, you know, was added later on. Um, so that was sort of the, you know, the, the web development piece of this. And then in terms of, uh, you know, the funding uh, right now, uh, you know, it's all sort of self-funded. And, you know, in terms of th- one of the nice things about a business like this is, yeah, like, you know, you do have to, you know, pay the payment processor for sort of like a monthly subscription fee. Um, but uh, we actually don't pay any like per transaction fees. So it actually scales really well. You kind of just, you know, pay like a fixed amount per month. And what we're doing now is kind of in the phase where we're, you know, starting to think about like, you know, does it make sense to get funding? Or honestly, like, maybe it's fine to just keep growing this organically. And, you know, I think a common word that tech companies or startups use is like bootstrapping. And what that means is essentially like, you never took in any funding. And, you know, you've essentially been able to grow the business at a more, say, moderate pace, but entirely self-funded. So I think like, anytime you're starting a company, you kind of, you know, once you've established that, okay, there's a market here, there's some, there's a product that works, and there's users, you kind of have a decision to make. I think one is, you know, do I go and try to raise a bunch of money, and then, you know, create the expectation that this business is going to grow to like, you know, tens of thousands of users in like two years, or else it fails? Or do I kind of, you know, continue to self fund this or kind of fund it through like friends and family or, you know, smaller set of investors, and maybe it grows moderately, but, you know, maybe that's okay. And that allows it to succeed in the long run. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And thank you for sharing that. Because personally, I'm kind of in your shoes where I do have a technical background, but I've always been too scared to launch something, because I'm not technical enough to create like that base. But it seems like, hey, for a couple thousand dollars, you can create an MVP with a development company, then use your own knowledge and your own style to tweak it to your desire. And honestly, that doesn't take that much money. And you have a great business model in that it's pretty much infinitely scalable. Yeah. So you have like little overhead. And yeah, it's as customers come along and find you, your business is going to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, everyone should, you know, I definitely encourage entrepreneurship. Just don't. We don't need another payments company in this space. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> right, we need more unique ideas, not just flooded competition of the same thing over and over again. <laughs> no, that, that's that's definitely true. And I think uh, you know, also again, like starting a company, you you kind of have there's there's so many decision making points, right? I think one of them is, do I go after a space that's highly competitive, but a need, uh, but 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 it serves a need that I know exists. So for example, like, you know, rental payments, like going into it, of course, it's a need that exists because there's all these other companies out there that are already, you know, serving the space. So at least like you eliminate that variable, or you kind of have the choice of, do I try to come up with something entirely new? And, you know, I, I'll be like the only one doing it or one of very few, you know, competitors out there, but I'm not really sure if there's like a true market need, right? And so you kind of, you have the benefit of, you know, being one of the few competitors, but you still have to prove like, is this something that people actually want to use? And that's definitely like a decision point that I came across when I was figuring out what to launch is like, do I want to go for something that I know there's a clear need, but there's a ton of competition? 
or do I want to go at something where there's very little competition and it's a totally new idea, but I'm not really sure like whether there's a market there for this. I don't think there's actually a right answer uh, to that, right? There's businesses that succeed and fail in, in both those areas. It's a like red ocean, blue ocean question, right? Yeah. And I think you're doing it right where you're kind of going in a red ocean, but your business is pretty much cash flow. And then once your business here does really well, then you can probably go to something more speculative where you create something completely unique that blows up to billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, let, let's hope. <laughs> Amazing story, man. Thank you so much for your time. How can people get in contact with you? Yeah. So uh, in terms of the website and signing up, it's free for anyone's first unit. And so you just go to www.rentc.co. I just want to emphasize that it's .co, not .com. So no M at the end. Uh, and then if you're a tenant, you can you know invite your landlord to sign up. If you're a landlord, you can go and actually create your account and link your bank account and invite your tenants in under you know five minutes, maybe even two minutes if you're fast enough. And then in terms of contacting me, you can reach out to me at prateek at rentc.co. That's P-R-A-T-E-E-K at rentc.co. And in terms of depending on what your needs are, right? Like I think I, I talked about our, we serve everyone from individual landlords to slightly larger property management companies. If you are on the larger end, property management companies, you know, reach out because we do have some like volume discount pricing for, you know, more than say 50 units or so. Awesome. Pratik, thank you so much for being on the show today. I look forward to seeing you around real soon. Awesome. Thank you. Here are some of the key takeaways I got from speaking to Pratik. There is a lot of potential for tech and real estate. Most of the systems are antiquated and inefficient. Rentsy solves the annoying problem of having to manually pay your rent every month. By using other platforms, it's able to be as secure as PayPal, Robinhood, or Venmo. If you're a landlord or property manager, check out rentsy.co and automate your rental collections. And when it comes to running your own tech business, it's not that difficult. You just have to do your research and find the resources to create your product. He was able to outsource the minimum viable product to a development company in San Francisco and then make his final tweaks after that. You can learn as you go and the experience is invaluable. And just goes to show that there really are no true excuses why you can't start something great. He's at a phase now where the basis of the company started, he just needs a team to grow it. And over time, I'm sure he's going to be wildly successful. I hope you learned a lot. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.